The Urbanist, unfiltered. Sights and sounds from the Urban League. Straight, Straight up, up, no chaser. Welcome to the Urbanist Unfiltered podcast. I am your co-host, James Davidson. And I'm Sherelle Duncan. And today's episode is titled Episode 3, HB. We, we see you. There we go. We back on it again. Yeah, we we're are. here for the third week of November 2016. You know we have to do our rundown. So quick shout out to Wire Road Studios and our super producers. DK. Keep rolling. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I wish I wish y'all could be here uh, for before we start recording. But you may yeah. hear say uh, rolling, and that's okay. We may throughout the a whole bit. episode. That's okay. So today, before we get into the quick intros, we're going to be talking about HBCUs and giving. And we're also going to be talking about the effects of November 8th, 2016, our United States presidential election uh, and the results to that. And we are also going to interview our amazing fund development chair and my co-host, Ms. Sherelle Duncan, hey. <laughs> hey. who will be discussing some of the initiatives for the year in terms of fundraising. And we're also going to tie in what she talks about with HBCUs, its present state, giving, and all that good jazz. Yeah, but, we're doing a lot of stuff. But before we start that, James. Yes, ma'am. How's life? What's <laughs> been going on? Life is good. I can't really complain. Uh, I guess I should make it known. Da, uh, da, da, da. <laughs> November 18th, I will be a mister to someone's missus. And she's amazing. <laughs> yes, she is. Ashley is an amazing woman. So I am getting married on next Friday. And outside of that, it's just it's just been that. I mean, for those who are either married or engaged or plan to be, your life is consumed by all of that. It's a beautiful time. It, it's a it's a definite learning experience. I'm definitely looking forward to the celebration now that the bulk of the preparations are over. So I've just been doing that, you know, maintaining out, out here in these Houston Rolling. streets. What about you? What you been up to? I've just been so busy. Work, trying to get ready for our new event season, being mm -hmm. on the board for the Urban League. Mm -hmm. And just, I'm really trying to work on self-care. <laughs> That's important. It surely is. It's because important. for the past two weeks, I've had an event every single day. And mm. I need a nap. You're rolling. So, <laughs> rolling. Every day. And right after this podcast, I'm rolling myself into bed to go to I sleep. do not blame you. Mm -mm, we need to take needed. as much time as we can. Okay. But uh, we've already got out the shout outs and all that. So, you ready to go? Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. So today on the Urbanist Unfiltered, we're going to be talking about fundraising. And who better to interview than Miss Sherelle Duncan, Hello. our current fund development chair for the Houston Area Urban League Young Professionals. Mm -hmm. So in addition to being a co-host of this wonderful podcast, in my humble opinion, the best podcast in Houston, Texas, you're out there making dollars for, uh, for the Urban League? That I am. How that do you I do am. it? <laughs> I know Deep it can be a task. Deep I know, right? Side. Well, we have a lot of initiatives going on at the Houston Area Urban League Young Professionals. For our fundraising team, we really have strived to build a multi-channel program. We want to do not just one thing. Mm -hmm. In the past, the organization has really depended on one event to raise money. It's a wonderful event. It's previously called casino night but now it's opulence okay because we want to take it to the next level 
Um, but now we are focusing on having more than one event, also doing matching gifts, hmm. pledge forms, really just different type of ways to get money. Grant writing is something we've started and we've been successful at. And nice. also give back nights is something we're going to be pushing. So we are trying to get money as best as we can. There you go. That that sounds um, awesome. So I know some of our listeners, they, you know, they hear the word fundraising. Sometimes it's called uh, development in, in, in higher education uh, spaces. So why is fundraising so important in a general sense? And then why is fundraising so important to nonprofits such as the Urban League? Well, we all know that money makes the world go around. That it does. And so it doesn't matter what type of organization is. If you are an entrepreneur trying to start a business, you need capital, a.k.a. money fundraising right right if you are in a church you need to make that run and operate sunday donations whatever we want to call them fundraising and so really that is what my whole job entails not just asking people for money but Mm -hmm. telling people why one you have the capacity to give and two why you should be giving to our organization versus other ones and more specifically for nonprofits, it's important because we don't really go out and um charge people for things that we do we provide free services we provide things for many demographics who can't afford programs and services that would cost them Mm -hmm. and so we have to get outside funding and we have to rely on our community and people who are affluent to give right okay that that sounds uh pretty good i know that with such a large uh prominent organization such as the urban league there's uh, additional people to assist you and your committee. What are some of the ways that we can help you and uh, specifically Hall YP uh, raise the money that we need? So the biggest thing that we're trying to get our young professional members to understand this year is that they can give, but not only can you just give out your dollars, you can get your employer to give. Oh, So okay. matching gift is the biggest thing that you can do for us. For example, there are some companies, if you give $100, They'll give $300. Now we have $400 in our bank account. And $400 can provide food for our young professionals university. So your one donation just paid for 200 kids food, Mm. right? Right. So I'm just trying to work really, really hard to get people to understand that and then go to their employers or call me. Or email me, <laughs> fundevelopment at hallyp.org, right. and just to see if you guys do any of those things. And we can. Payroll deductions is something else we want to work on. Okay. You know, it's nothing. People spend money all the time. Right. You can give $10 at your paycheck to go <laughs> towards Hall YP. Yeah, and see, that that's interesting. I, I know for a lot of us giving it's a new space for Mm -hmm. for for us and for our families and for our community quite frankly where we see um other groups of people other organizations who have entire committees on giving and i uh, live out in fort bend county and i was recently at a fundraising event where they raised about seventeen thousand dollars on 20 cakes wow this yeah it was for for education and when i you know I, i relay that to some of my um counterparts and colleagues in the urban league and you know their eyes kind of light up and then just regular conversations and they they question like well how do they give that much money those must only be rich people but to your point early earlier if someone gives like a dollar a couple dollars in the collective that could impact a lot of change so how do we kind of change the mindset 
of us to to give because and I didn't mean to cut you off, but with the Urban League, the money it's not staying in people's pockets. No. It's going straight out to the community to help, you know, those around us. So how do we change the the mindset? Well, I think the biggest challenge about changing people's mindset, what I've been trying to work on is getting people to understand where their dollar actually goes. Because mm-hmm. some some people may think that this dollar is going to pay so and so salary. But really, unrestricted dollars may do those things. But if you restrict your money and put it towards a certain program, mm-hmm. then it can only be used for that program. Right. And <clears throat> a lot of a time, a lot of times, that's what's going on. So we have the money that we get for Hall YP goes straight to our programming. Mm-hmm. No one on the board gets paid. <laughs> no, no, <I> <laughs> at rem- all. Tr- at all. Trust yeah, me. I remember. <laughs> no one on the board is getting paid. <laughs> But, however, uh, the money that we do, when I speak to Hall YP members, what I want them to understand is if you love all these social events, you Mm -hmm. love the community service things we do, Mm -hmm. you love opulence, great. We need your money (laughs) to keep these things going on. And there are so many more things that we want to do for the community Mm -hmm. that we can't do because of donor dollars. And so I just want people to really get changing the culture of you do have the capacity to give you don't have to write a thousand dollar check you can write a fifty dollar check because a lot of people out here are writing fifty dollar checks to go to a two-hour event so if you can do it for that you can certainly do it and be a sponsor Mm -hmm. for one of our other events that we have going on okay good all right good stuff i um wanted to also ask since fundraising again going with the concept of it being uh kind of new to us what are uh one or two things about fundraising that we don't know as a community that we should know i think people really don't know that fundraising Mm -hmm. everyone's a fundraiser to me Mm -hmm. to be honest um if you are a member of the organization if you sit on the board if you just are in the general body you're a fundraiser and a representative of the houston area urban league young professionals and this this isn't just about Hall YP. Yeah. This yeah. is about all organizations because the basis of fundraising is building relationships with the community. Yep. So every single time we are in the community and when we meet someone, we are building a platform and getting them excited to hopefully give their dollars one day. You never know who you sit next to. Right. I was sitting next to a person worth millions of dollars. <laughs> Didn't even know it. Right. That person can cut a check for $10,000 and not even blink. Mm-hmm. But had I had a negative experience with that person, there goes not only a new member, right. but all of their giving capacity. Right. And I'm not saying that people should look at individuals as a transaction because it's not that nope. at all. To me, I just look at it as making new friends. And what do friends want to do? Support you. There so you that's the biggest thing. I think people forget about fundraising Mm -hmm. is that it's really just about going out, hanging out, meeting people. Okay, good. Um, Well, uh, we definitely learned a lot from you today in that short period of time. You you know, I I honestly did. I I had been interested in the fundraising space uh, for quite some time because I see there's so many organizations here in Houston, you know, who are properly supported. And when you're able to have that sustained imprint in the community you can do more and i think in our position that's really all we're trying to do to your Mm -hmm. point we just want to do more again no one here is getting paid and this is really coming from (laughs) 
okay at all. And this is coming from our hearts. So we just wanted um, our wonderful listeners to know a little bit more about fundraising and how you can help Miss Duncan in her efforts uh, throughout the year. So give us your email uh, one more time so they can know where to reach you. So you all can reach me at funddevelopment at hallyp.org. And if you want to go to our website, please visit hallyp.org and click on support us to give a donation. All right. And there it is. Well, Miss Sherelle Duncan, we appreciate you uh, so much for taking some time out of your day and hosting the podcast to be interviewed. So thank you. And let uh, me take off my fundraising <laughs> hat yeah. and put on my co-host hat and let's move on. There we go. So, speaking of giving, let's talk about HBCUs. Let's talk about it. I didn't go to HBCU. Did you? I did not. Let's get that right on <laughs> out, out there. Out the way. Yes, we are not uh, perpetrating We're in, not in any kind of way. At all. However, we recognize the importance of historically black colleges and universities. I am sure, uh, if not directly in our family someone in our family has gone to an hbcu yes and we feel that it's important to talk about it highlight it and let's let's know what's going on challenges and some positives some good things that are going on so that's why we titled the show hb we see you because we do see you we do and we appreciate everyone who went there Uh, a lot of great black people who have come out of hbcus Mm -hmm. so with that said let me ask you a question okay Are we, as a community, giving enough to HBCUs? Well, I would have to say we aren't. We aren't. Just period. Because when you look at some of the giving that goes on at some other institutions, there, you know, it's evident that they are supported at a uh, much higher rate. And I'm not comparing, I know I'm comparing, but I'm not really comparing apples to apples. I understand it's more apples to oranges because you have uh, a larger institution. Like, uh, I'm not going to put out any names. I don't want somebody to get mad at me. But you have a uh, predominantly white institution A up against an HBCU Right, a, across and, the street. Right, and it's it's really not the same. So I, I believe that we aren't uh, giving as much as we should. However, there are... Uh, levers and mechanisms in place to kind of compensate for that. So I'm going to touch on uh, how we as a community can give more. But before I do that, I wanted to just kind of bring up since um, our president is leaving us soon. Yes. Yeah. Moment of silence. For... Can we have a show dedicated just you know what? to him and about all the things that he's done? I think we can do that. That, that may right. be an upcoming podcast. Coming up soon. <laughs> but President Obama and his administration, they've actually assisted in one million more African-American and Latino students who are enrolling in college. And that's through HBCUs as well. Mm-hmm. And they have uh, more than 270,000 undergraduate degrees in just two years ago versus how it was when he first took office in 08 and 09. And federal funding for HBCUs has actually grown every year since 2009. So, you know, if, if you know me outside of the podcast, you know I'm going to I'm gonna rep for our president. But I've been critical of him, especially on some of his uh, uh, foreign policies as well. But in, H- in terms of HBCUs, they have received $17 million in funding as an increase annually each year. So whereas our community may love to go to the SWAC championship in Houston, they may love to show out and rep their nail either from the school or, the, or their frat or their sorority, 
we don't see the dollars being given back. And I don't know if I have an answer for that. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I know that a lot of times universities look at increasing the participation rate, Mm -hmm. not just the donor dollar, when it comes to annual giving. So that's learning teaching moment here. Right, right. Um, In development for higher education, you have what's called annual giving, and it's just the donations you the, those phone calls you get from your school right. that's yeah. when you cannot is. stop calling me like i can't get mad because of you know the discussion that we're having now with giving but u of h calls like every day yeah texting and calls me all the time and it's to the point that i'm like i do what you do please just email me <laughs> right you will get my money right um but with said so it's more about increasing participation so when i think about giving i think about why aren't a lot of different people giving at least $5 or $10 or something? Mm -hmm. Because as we mentioned before, that's nothing. Right. Or is it truly that the community that we have is so disenchanted, Mm -hmm. disenfranchised, whatever word you want to use, that they don't have the capacity to give? Is that the real question? These are things I don't know the answers to. Right. (laughs) Because I work in a completely different industry than higher education but Mm -hmm. it's something to consider um i don't think that is for the lack of school pride right and i don't think that people who attended hbcus feel like they've had less of an experience than a pwi yeah so then i wonder is it like you said like is it a numbers thing right because uh tip you know outside of the the mecca and i'll I'll let them decide whether the real mecca is right Um, i'm not getting that that, but i I wonder university (laughs) so i have to say oh my goodness i i wonder though if it's a sheer numbers thing again not comparing but if you have you know a smaller amount of people giving five dollars that's not going to have the same impact as you know a much larger group giving you know even a few dollars less Mm -hmm. so i as a as a suggestion i i would like um more more activity um between those who who went to hbcus and those who didn't i i know i i didn't go but i i've been to um i've been to morehouse college uh, and I've visited uh, Spelman's campus and, and the whole AUC area. And it is a vibrant, beautiful, wonderful place to be. And quite frankly, had I known about all the opportunities I, I would have had at HBCU, I may have seriously considered going, but I, I just wasn't exposed to it. Right. So it's a little off-topic question, but I, I wonder if we had more exposure at the high school level or middle school level um, for, from HBCUs, would that increase giving in the long run i think it would i also think one trend that i see is that um colleges and universities who have a really strong young alumni group Mm -hmm. those people tend to give more across their lifetime right right. you got to catch people early right when they graduate Mm -hmm. so they can see oh i got this education keep funding education right right. and you mentioned spelman and morehouse and i believe they're private schools right i I believe so i think so and that is a testament of donor dollars right you have to have donations Mm -hmm. to continue to make that happen um so i just wanted to make sure we i bought that up but what was your question? Well, no, no, it's okay. I, I was just more so thinking uh, in, in terms of the, you mentioned the private schools and we right. mentioned Morehouse or Earth Spellhouse. Um, with, oh, is that what they call it? Yeah, I went to their oh. homecoming one time. It's <laughs> like they they combine their homecoming, so they call it Spellhouse. It's, oh. it's pretty cool. Yeah, okay. So with, 
bringing it home with uh, Prairie View A and M and Tech and Texas Southern, uh, they I, I think at one point they were even. Mm-hmm. I, I think in strictly terms of funding and uh, appearances, it appears that. Uh, PV is doing just a little bit better in terms of funding. Mm-hmm. Look, I would love to be corrected, so feel free. Any I mean, TSU PV, alumni, you PV know. PV is now under the Texas A&M system. I thought so, yeah, yeah. And so um, they're getting checks. Right. <laughs> uh, we recently had our Young Black Aggie weekend, mm-hmm. and we played against PV, and they got about a half a million dollars. Okay. So they're doing what's necessary in order to keep their school thriving okay those are some of the things that they're doing to get money and i i remember your question your question was about access and information Mm -hmm. about going to hbcus Mm -hmm. and i will say that i grew up in a state where there are several hbcus to choose from thought i was going to xavier and then my sister decided to go to howard Mm -hmm. and so when it was my turn i applied and i got into Howard, Hampton, Clark, Atlanta, okay. many different HBCUs, but I ended up going to a PWI. But mm-hmm. that was based off of choosing a school that would make the best career for me at the time. I thought I would be in the military, mm-hmm. and LSU is a school I chose to go to, mm-hmm. and it has a really strong ROTC program. So that's why I went to that school. And sometimes I wonder... <laughs> Well, no, I don't. I'm not I'm not even gonna <laughs> lie. Sometimes people ask me right. if I miss the HBCU experience, mm-hmm. do I feel slighted because I went to a PWI? And my sister and I have had very, very interesting conversations about <laughs> it. Um, because she loves being a bison and all that yeah. good stuff. But I don't know. I I don't feel like I've been treated well, let me not say that. I don't feel like I've had any less of an experience because right. I decided to go to PWI, mostly because my peer group at the PWI mm-hmm. were African American students. Right, and that that's that's interesting because I wanted to touch on our experiences as well. For for me, I can say that I loved my time. Just a little background: my undergrad was at the University of Kentucky, and uh, for grad school, I went to U of H. So I got kind of both experiences of the Houston flavor of college as well as the uh, the upper crust of the South, which was at times an unpleasant experience. So to that end, I do believe that my time at an HBCU, had I gone, would have been a little bit different. But see, I'm, all, I'm almost hesitant to say it might have been better because it's almost like relationships. You may think that you have one issue that you're dealing with in this one and you yeah. won't deal with it another, mm-hmm. but you're swapping it out for another issue, right? right? So I, I think the experiences, they are going to be different in, in terms of uh, aesthetics. It may look different, mm-hmm. but you're still going to run into the same problems. But, the, you know, at the same time, you can't tell me that uh, someone who comes from an HBCU did not feel welcomed. Right. I, I've heard that environment is it's simply amazing, especially as an 18 year old kid. Maybe you're the first person in your uh, in, in your family to go to college and to attend an HBCU. You're going to feel like it's family like and you're going to get a world class education. People uh, will, will know about your degree. And I, I think it's important that, um, you know, going back to the exposure at the at the high school level, it's it's very important. I did want to touch back um, to some some of the folks at TSU before they get on me about that. I know they just recently uh, hired a new president, I believe. Mm-hmm. 
And so they they had some issues in the past, but uh, Texas Southern is is on the right track in terms of their their new leadership. I have a, a few colleagues who are alumni who are telling me just amazing things uh, that's going on in all of their departments there. So if you have, and I'm not stopping the the segment, but if you have any comments or concerns about HBCU, something we're maybe missing um, in that, because based on our vantage point, make sure to email us at the urbanist at hallyp. Uh, dot org. Yeah. And so we've already talked about misconceptions, but continue. Yeah, well, I just want to say there are a lot of good things about going to HBCUs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so f- one thing that I think is a benefit is that you can see people of color in higher education. I was very fortunate to grow up in an area and grow up with my parents' peer group were black lawyers, mm-hmm. black doctors black deans right right not everyone has that experience Mm -hmm. so i always knew looking up that i could do and be whatever i wanted to do um and be so i think that's the beauty of going to an hbcu you're learning from someone who looks like you right you're learning from someone who can share their experience going through a system or going through life about what you want to do with your you know like yeah they're they're there to mentor you absolutely and I, you know, you don't feel like a, a number. And these are all things that, you know, I'm sure we, well, we did. We heard it secondhand, but that kind of shows you the power of HBCUs, where you have two folks who went to predominantly white institutions who are able to speak so highly about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so with that, you know, HBs, we see you definitely, definitely. We want to help in any way we can, especially as an organization with the Urban League. Um, so again, uh, we're at the urbanist at hallyp.org. Let us know um, what you think about this and uh, we'll move on. All right, James. Yes, ma'am. Tuesday, mm-hmm. November 8th. 2016. 2016. That, oh. The year of our Lord. <laughs> we, we need them now. <laughs> Call them. <laughs> the United States of America. Not the popular vote. Nope. <sighs> I know. I know. Collect yourself. It's okay. We Yesterday don't get was this. the first day I was able to say it. <laughs> and be, you know, yeah. takes a minute. I understand. Donald Trump mm-hmm. was voted as the president Elect. elect, yes. Please, we're going we gonna to hold on to that elect for the, so long. <laughs> right. Of the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Speak on it. Okay. Well. All these sighs, man. We're, we're, we're here. No, let me. We try to be so bipartisan. Let me, yeah, let me get back regular. All right. So we're here. It happened. It is what it is. The Electoral College, uh, although they vote in December, based on the voting and the electoral votes um, that are given to each state, have decided that uh, President-elect Trump is going to lead our nation for the the foreseeable next four years. Although Hillary Clinton is winning, I don't know if the official tally is complete. So as of now, she is winning the popular vote. Donald Trump will be our next president. How we got here? How did this happen? Um, Southern strategy. Well, you know, and so it. Um, I, I, I don't. I don't think it was a southern strategy as much as it was the Rust Belt strategy. Can you 
tell people what this is because I'll be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear th- hear about this term until a few days yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at the uh, map of the United States, you have, uh, you know, the Deep South or SEC country for those who follow, um, you know, sports. And then you also have what's called the Rust Belt, which is historically our states that thrived on the Industrial Revolution. Our steel workers in Pennsylvania, if you've noticed, if we have any Pittsburgh Steeler fans who are listeners, that's why they have the uh, blue, red, and uh, yellow kind of spark on their helmet um, from, you know, steel making. We also have um, states like Indiana, Wisconsin, Ohio, Though that whole Midwest area was expanded by the Industrial Revolution. And so you have a lot of unions that were created. So traditionally, they were democratic uh, in, uh, you know, dem- they, they aligned themselves with the Democratic Party um, based on, on historical context and who was running and the things that they were talking about. But in this tech age that we have now, where the powers that be reside on the West Coast, uh, in, in Silicon Valley, and you have your Apples, you know, your commercial uh, places like Best Buy. What we have now is a shift where the folks who once, you know, made a living off of working with their hands uh, with the industrial age, now are, they feel left behind. So what the kind of Rust Belt strategy was, Donald Trump decided to spend time in Wisconsin. And what what I view as a misstep by the Clinton campaign they relied on Wisconsin to just stay blue. Mm-hmm. And I'm just using that as an example. Michigan was another one that has been traditionally blue, you know, for presidents for quite some time. And HRC decided, you know, not to spend a whole lot of time there. She was focused in some of the ur- more urban cities, like your Philadelphia's, and she uh, spent time in, in Florida as well. So that area, I believe, when the final numbers come in, will show that they helped Trump to the presidency. So when we think about elections, we kind of get stuck on the presidency. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But a lot of people have been pushing, think about your local leaders. Right. So what do you think we should be concerned about? Well, personally, this is something that I have uh, been thinking about for quite some time because of my own uh, past where I did run uh, for school board out in Fort Bend County. I think that we have to focus on local elections in our local community Mm -hmm. before we can even try and fix whatever you know federal regulations may come so what we can do locally is attend our civic meetings whether that is the urban league meetings or your hoa or your mud district meetings run if you have a desire if you have if you're passionate about something run for local office we need you if you're sitting thinking i've got these really good ideas but i i'm not a politician i don't want to be like that right no that's the exact mindset we need right now we need somebody who isn't worried about ratings or trying to be in front of the spotlight right now we have to focus locally and my last point is i think this is a great time for us right if we really think about it we are going to be left alone for the time being Mm. and we are only going to be left to our own devices and we know from previous podcasts that we're, we are innovative, creative, fresh, forward-thinking idea makers. And we can be change agents within our own communities. So it's going to be left to us. And quite frankly, us is 
whoever wants to be a part of this thing we're about to do. Right. So now is a time where we focus inward and let's focus on Houston. Let's focus on Mo City, Sugarland, Pearland. Let let's do better in our communities. Go out outside of your comfort zone and go you know, worship with somebody that you haven't worshiped with before. Help a nonprofit or someone working in education to uplift the people who came up after you. Mm -hmm. But do the work now because in two years with the state races coming up and in four years when uh, we will elect another president, we will be more ready and and more equipped to deal with the issues that we're going to face. So I'll leave it there. Yeah, I I will say that over the next four years, I think a lot of different people will be trying to build a base, mm-hmm. a better base, whether that's third party, Democrat or Republican. Right. A lot of change is about to happen mm-hmm. and it's going to start on a local level. So everyone has work to do. Let's do it and let's move on. Let's go to work. It's time for some check it, bro. Is it? Yeah. All right. What are we, what are we checking out today? There are a lot of things that we need to talk about. <laughs> yes, there are. <laughs> But the people upstairs have told me that I have to keep it short. Wrap it up, B. So in order for me to do that, mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about two things that I want people to be aware of. All right. So check it. So check it. November 29th is Giving Tuesday. Mm-hmm. This happens every year. And it's really just a national day where you support the organizations that you believe in. So if you are concerned about certain organizations that... Operate off of federal funding, HBCUs, mm-hmm. certain nonprofit organizations, mm-hmm. Planned Parenthood, lots of different things. If you are concerned about those organizations and, of course, Hall YP, that is a day for you to give. We have a $10 with 10 people challenge going on. Right now, go to Hall YP on social media, find the post, tag 10 people, give $10 so that we can make a difference in this community. That's the first thing I need to tell you. Mm -hmm. The second thing, speaking of those communities who rely on federal funding and just minority communities in general, you all need to go and check out Moonlight. I heard about that. I I heard it's pretty good. Yeah. It's amazing. It's a wonderful story about... How do I say this? Hmm. It's a wonderful story about a young boy... And his discovery of mm-hmm. who he is. Okay. And how certain life experiences make you act a certain way. Make you cover who you are. And mm-hmm. that happens a lot in this community. I bet. Um, it happens a lot with different people. Uh, so it's it's worth seeing. It's a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think anyone will be able to pull something out of this movie. Okay. Yeah, I know. I, I've seen it. Um, it's the sponsorship. You know, the sponsored page on on ig so it does look pretty good Uh, i do plan on giving that a look so my uh check it for today of course it's going to be in line with what we've discussed there is actually going to be a forum uh coming up in about three weeks so for those who have enjoyed what we've talked about but want a little bit more with regard to voting and how we got here and what what can we do to do better there is going to be a public forum called we voted now what And that's going to be hosted and funded by Edward Pollard, Jaron Small, Ray Shackelford, and Will Norwood. It's going to be Saturday, December 3rd at 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. at Luby's Restaurant. That's located at 1727 Old Spanish Trail, Houston, Texas, 77054. 
And what they want um, all the young professionals in Houston to do is come out and enjoy a free breakfast for the first 100 attendees to learn about how we arrived at this point and what we should do to move forward. And they are going to have a guest speaker. It's the Honorable Frank Jackson, who's the Assistant Vice Chancellor for Government Relations at Texas A&M. And he's a former mayor of Prairie View, Texas. So if you're looking for that face-to-face interaction on how to be engaged and create a plan of action for the city of Houston moving forward, that will be your event. Well, guys, here are some parting words. The overall theme of this show is HBCUs, we see you, everyone else, it's time to show up and show out. And on that note, we're out. The Urbanist, unfiltered. Sights and sounds from the Urban League. Straight Straight up, up, no no chasers. chasers.